Today's podcast sponsor is Hubert Engineered Woods. And I want to talk to you about zip sheathing and why we use zip sheathing. I know you've heard me talk about it on the podcast before, but I thought let's just lay it out in the simplest of forms. Number one, when I install it properly, I tape the seams, I liquid flash the seams, I manage for water with my windows, I do, I, I use their products, I don't have to worry about water. There are times when we install drywall inside of a house and we don't have cladding on the outside because they know zip system is going to be waterproof. So that's number one. Number two, I can manage for air. So using zip system sheathing on the walls, my like last five houses we built were all below passive house uh, levels of air leakage. They were all below that 0.6 ACH 50. And we're not putting that much effort into air sealing. We're just making sure that we tape well, which we manage for water, we manage for air. And the last five houses that I built all had zip R because that continuous insulation that comes adhered to the back of my zip sheathing that I'm already putting up and installing, now I have continuous R value that I get the whole R6 or the R9 or R12, whatever it is, I don't see building any other way. It works for us, it can work for you. Make sure you go to huberwood.com and check them out. And Huber, thanks for sponsoring the podcast. Welcome to the Unbuild It Podcast. I'm Jake Bruton. My co-host for the day is Steve Basic. Hello, hello. And we are we are joined by a uh, let's 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 say our solar company that we work with in Columbia, Missouri, uh, Dogwood Solar. We're we're joined by Dan Shively and uh, Dan. Say hello. Hello. How's everybody doing? <laughs> and our thought for this conversation is literally. Let's pretend like Steve knows absolutely nothing about solar. Sure. Steve doesn't understand how it works. Steve doesn't understand how the panels generate electricity. Let's start with like the basic of basics. Steve's going to rip paper while we're recording the podcast so that he has his own note page. I have my <laughs> We spent all this time getting prepared here. and now Steve's still wondering if we're recording or not. Are you good to go? I think I'm good. Okay. I'm good start. So give us the like five minutes. How did you wind up a solar company? How did, how did you decide to be in this industry? Sure. So I've always been passionate about renewables and solar energy and the construction slowdown and the recession of 2008. I used to be in commercial. HVAC. I haven't heard about that. Yeah, really? It's a, it's a thing. You know, you can okay. Google it. Um, and we did a lot of plan and spec work, so I didn't have a lot of control over what projects I got just because the way they filtered down through the pipeline. And so I kind of decided, all right, this is a good time. I had some extra time on my hands. And so I started the training process through Solar Energy International in Colorado and uh, MREA out of Wisconsin and just kind of getting my training up and running and felt confident about the skills and the design aspects of it. And then put our uh, shingle out in January 1, 2010. And uh, we're in our 13th year. It's been a real whirlwind, but a lot of fun. And in Columbia the whole time. Mm-hmm. And your HVAC company, is that still around? We haven't talked about that in a long no, time. No, we haven't. Um, there was one of those things where the company was basically me. We didn't have any IP. It was kind sure. of a wholesaler. So there, yep. I had a guy try to get to take it on, but he didn't feel like he was a good fit. So uh, that sure. one's closed, and we're on to this one. Okay. Uh, and so, as I said, let's pretend like Steve knows nothing about solar energy. Let's start with the idea that this is energy from the sun. 
And well, go let's from pretend there. I'm you and I'll play dumb. <laughs> Thank you. All right. Also, since I know when this one's going to publish, uh, I just want to let you know that uh, the reviews are in and Top Gun 2, the movie, according to Steve, is the greatest film made in history. And I'm I didn't say fairly greatest film of history, see, so now you you're said lying greatest to sequel I ever said, made. That's Sorry. not the greatest Sorry. film in history. I, I think it's myself. the greatest sequel to a major motion picture that has ever been made. Yes, I would agree to that. That's strong. I just re- my kids hadn't seen the first one, so we watched it over the weekend. We haven't seen the new one yet, but I'm looking forward to it. Well, knowing that Steve thinks it's the greatest sequel ever made is a great primer for Steve doesn't understand how anything in the world works. And now can well, we? Well, at least I don't bash the military like you do. <laughs> These are running jokes that Dan doesn't know because Dan hasn't heard the podcast before. <laughs> so it makes me even happier that he has to sit here and listen to this too. Uh, okay, so how how are panels panels manufactured? How do we get from AC to DC? How do we get from sunlight to uh, I can charge no, my you're iPhone? You're going way too fast. You can see, this is why you shouldn't be in charge of hosting. Right, well, yeah, from now on, I'm in charge. All right, okay. so Steve, Steve's down. taking the mic. So let's start with. Well, let's sun. start with what are the pieces? Sure. So great question. Solar panels, they produce DC energy, much like a battery. That's where you get your energy, right? And then the solar panels go from um, some strings or some other connections, right, to an inverter somewhere that can be on the roof or on the wall. It depends on the system design. But the inverter takes it from DC energy, like in a battery, and from solar panels to AC energy for direct current to alternating current so that you can use it in your home. Um, there are systems that use DC directly, like you can do solar water pumping. You know, there's some lights and some other options you can do directly. But most of the time, if we're talking solar for your home or your business, we're going to use an inverter somewhere. Which is kind of funny because if I was going to plug an electric vehicle in that's DC power, I'd be plugging into AC power that was converted from DC power if I was using Right, yeah. And, and so most electric vehicles, too, they're going to be at uh, like around a 400-volt nominal battery, which is not what you're going to get from a solar yeah. panel. So, But, yeah, you're right. Those, it, there's a little bit of inversion loss there, DC to AC to DC. So, Dan, let's, let's start out with the panels because that's what probably most people know mm-hmm. when they talk solar energy. There's these big black or blue things on the roof. Um, what, what size or what kind of capacity and how is it measured? Sure. So, generally, we're looking at amount number of watts per panel. And then you, the number of panels you have times the number of watts per panel is going to equal your DC system size on the roof or on the ground. So if you have a 380-watt panel and you have 10 of them, you'd have a 3,800-watt 3, system, which would be 3.8 kilowatt DC. Gotcha. And so 380 watts, my, my understanding is, is panels have come a long way. Because I remember when probably the first... Um, zero energy house i did the panels were probably like 225 or 250 yeah, yeah. and now they're i think they're over 400 aren't there some panels sure so most residential panels are hovering right in that upper threes to low 400s commercial panels i can get commercial panels 490 watts 510 watts it's and when is is it a size difference when you say commercial what's the difference yeah. between a residential and a commercial panel? um it's Mostly size. So it used to be that it was 60, 60 solar for residential panels. It was 60 solar cells wired in series and then in parallel to make a solar module. And then a commercial panel was 72. Now there's a few different variants depending on the manufacturer, but it's around 66 cells or 120 half cut cells, which is just a half a solar cell. You know, there's some pros and cons to those. Whereas a commercial panel is still going to be a larger footprint. 
you know, so it's a larger dimensions and then also more cells. Okay. It took six minutes and I learned something. There you go. There you go. Well, I, I didn't know that there was 60 in a residential yeah, panel. In, 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 Does that have to do with the fact that they're probably about 60 inches? Because a solar panel is right around 63 inches by 39 or something yeah, like that. Yeah, they trended a little bigger. Or I can't remember the, the metric size. I think size. I used 65 by 39 when I lay out a roof. Yeah, like they're that. still floating around 39. You know, mo- the 380s that we use frequently are like 71 and 5 eighths by 39. Gotcha. Um, and so and then they're trending a little bit larger too as the industry-wide trends to go to, I can't remember if they're going from there's a metric size for a standard solar cell they're going to a slightly larger format and so they're going to all increase by a little bit which makes it a real challenge for ground mounts because now my rails have become too short so i have to order custom rails for some of these panels which is inconvenient so let's talk about the panel for a second and how that power comes into the inverter so the panel's 380 watts Mm -hmm. it it develops 380 watts of dc power that goes into the inverter how much of that 380 watts comes out of the inverter and what's the loss? Sure. Um, so to, for point of clarity, 380 watts at standard test conditions, which is 25 degrees C, you know, and a thousand okay. watts per meter squared, which doesn't happen that often right. in the real world. Um, I'm trying so to that, get at so, what the percentage loss oh, is. Sure. I use 380 as an example. Yeah. But, but what Dan's saying is 380 is optimal. Yes. And right. we're not going to get optimal, most likely. Yes. That's something that's important to remember because right. that comes into play with your sizing. And there's a lot of variables, right? Shading. Shading. Angle of roof. Angle, yep. Um, intensity of the sun, so the insulation. Time uh, of year. Whether or not it's a nice neighborhood. Temperature. You know, temperature affects voltage. Uh, the sunlight intensity affects current. You know, all those things gotcha. go into how much you're getting out of the panel. So that 380 watt we keep talking about, that one is 21% efficient. So 21% of the energy that hits it comes out as power. And then the inverter itself, when all these coming back. So when you say 21%, just so we're clear, Mm -hmm. is that 21% of the 380 watts? So we're only getting like 70 watts of electricity out of that panel? So of that 1,000 watts per meter squared intensity, hitting that surface area, it's 21 is taking 21% of the energy and creating power with it. 21% of the sun's energy. Yes. On that surface area. And converting it into electrical energy. Correct. So in other words, there's a failure to capture 80% or 79% of the available sunlight. For a typical panel. Yeah. And, but how does that, I, I, what I, I guess I'm confused at, what does that do to, is, are we talking 21% of the 380 number or the 380 number is 21% of the 1500 plus watts of energy that hits the panel? Um, the 380 number is the output at standard test conditions, okay. right? And then the, I don't remember the equation for how many, uh, joules of energy the sunlight is and hitting it and creating it to energy but yeah so that that's looking at the of that solar radiation that's hitting that panel that surface area it's converting 21 percent of what hits that to energy and that's right. the 380 and that's the 380 well the 380 is well yes yeah, yeah. okay yeah. so so the panel's seeing 1500 plus watts of energy from the sun mm-hmm. but it's yeah. only able to convert the 380 of it, which is 21% of the energy. That Correct. Is, is yeah, I, th- I, think, I think we have that right. And okay. feel free to reach I mean, out I'm, in the comments and, I'm just and let looking, me know. I'm eventually going to get to something that's really important for the listeners, but yes. I'm kind of backing into it. So, so that 380 watts is 21% of the sun's energy that hit that panel. 
it goes into the inverter, what what kind of loss gets or what kind of loss happens when it goes from DC to AC power? So we model around 5% and change for uh, wiring, intermittent shading, uh, soiling, that kind of stuff. So we're losing a little bit there potentially. Those are kind of rules of thumb. But then the inversion process itself, uh, depending on the type of inverter you're using, grid tight inverter is going to be around 99% efficient. Okay. So we're probably somewhere out of that 380 watts. We're at 375-ish. Yeah, that's that after yeah. after conversion. Mm-hmm. And then, but there's other losses there that are substantially more important too, like like shading or the panels yeah, yeah, yeah. Are, are yucky and yeah. Well, but that's that's coming out of that original 1500 to the 380 watt. No, well, or potentially, you know, like you know, the house we're sitting in right now, or the studio we're sitting in right now, the shading hitting the roof is going to affect the solar production more than that so it's it's going to limit the initial solar radiation that's going to hit it yeah yeah no i yes i get that i get that so but i'm still working on the 380 so the 380 goes into the as dc it comes out let's just say 365 Mm -hmm. as ac power correct and that's totally available for my house to use correct that 365 watts gotcha because what, what I'm trying to get at is, as an architect, a lot of times when we design zero energy, the, the real question is, how big of an array do I need? Mm-hmm. And the problem that I've heard, and you can either confirm or kill this myth, but there's not a great calculator for that because there's too many variables from homeowners that are part of the equation to come out. Like you can come out with a general number, but the engineer types that I work with, they choose to live in their house for a year or two, establish a use pattern and come up with their watts of use and then develop a system based on that. I would so say, back I would it. say myth confirmed, you know, or, okay. or myth refuted, however you want to word that, I guess. Okay. Um, one of the <laughs> biggest challenges we have is, designing systems for either new construction or people that just bought the home is we don't have historical energy use. So we can say with certainty, you know, you can put on seven KW, six KW and you'll be something, but you might need 10, you might need 12. Cause it is funny. I mean, I did a house and the guy says, yeah, we're pretty frugal. And we did, we put on, I don't know, it's probably like 6.5 KW Mm -hmm. or something. And, and he's still selling energy back. Yeah. And it's like, holy cow. And then it's like I, I'm doing other houses, and we're talking about putting 22KW on it. And it's like, yeah, I don't think we're going to get to zero on that. Yeah. So it's it's like. Well, it's our it's the problem that we see for every aspect of the industry. Where is it located? Who's living in it? How big is it? How well is it built? Do they have three dehumidifiers, like box dehumidifiers plugged in that are zapping Well, both of these are passive houses, yeah. too, though. So they're, yeah. the house variance is out. It's more of use and you know how how they use that power that is is the difference this the guy sure. that's on the six plus kw i mean they're about as frugal you know is he's that like, dan? no oh, okay. no no dan's was i think like nine or something okay. but he was still probably 20 percent more he pays 25 percent of his uh, sister-in-law's bill that's on the same grid um, but, but this guy was like, yeah, we, our, our whole family, we're in bed, lights are off at like eight 30 every night. And then you, I have another client that's, he lives by himself, but he's got like four computers running all the time, never shuts them off and just has all kinds of electronics and 
and stuff. Yeah. And so, that, I mean, that contributes to heat load and that contributes, you know, like you said, I've seen a, a number of places that are similar footprint, similar square footage, you know, similar location, same builder. And it could be, I don't know, 50% double the energy use from one family to the next with similar occupants just based on how they live. So yeah. here, here, so, so that's how we would back into the system people is that, you know, you, you can, you get an understanding of that. However many panels you put on the wall, you probably are getting somewhere around 80% of that energy. Yeah. That's the reason from the, from the, um, system measurement of 10 kW or whatever. Um, where am I going with this? Uh, I looked at you and I totally <laughs> blanked. Um, but uh, I was doing cartwheels. Oh, one of the other th- questions that I have as a designer, which I think will help out the building community here too, is if if we'll use a 10 kW system uh, um, as a, as an easy one. So that's what 20 20 panels is that right? 380? No, eight. Let's say eight, K, eight kW. So that's 20 panels. It's a little easier for doing Joe math here. But what what kind of space do I need associated with the house to accommodate the inverters and, and stuff like that? So the inverter aspect of it's pretty small. Most grid tied inverters, and if you're looking at talking about grid tied, couple let me throw this out there because this is a common misconception. So grid tied solar, if you lose the grid power, your solar does not work. It's there to reduce your energy and your bills, but it does not give you off-grid power or power when the grid is not there. So the grid is the fuel to your solar power system. I would consider it more like a virtual battery, right? Because if that grid signal is not there and valid, meaning if you have a brownout, it can kick off the inverter. If you have, you know, like a lose a phase or something like that, that's grid's got to be there and stable. And then the grid tight inverter senses that and pushes back against it. So any solar that's being produced, and excuse me, any energy that's being produced is used on site first. And then excess energy flows back through a bi-directional meter, one that counts both directions. And then you get credit for excess energy that you produce that you don't need at that time. And that's only if that municipality has a crediting system available for it. That's true. Net metering is policy, and I think just about every state, there are certainly municipals and um, utilities that are more or less available. See, in New England, we have have a lot of municipalities that are on, say, like Con Ed or whatever the big utility company Mm -hmm. is. I forget. They change their name, it seems, annually. Every time they get sued. Yeah. (laughs) But we also have a lot of municipalities like the town that I live in that buys its electricity independently. And so mm-hmm. we have our town name Redding, it's Redding Latent Power. And they have no incentive for solar under Redding Latent Power. Do they permit net metering? I don't think they do. There's some that don't. I actually you're gonna like this this is a little side story. I actually had a client that we were doing um a passive house zero energy house and he didn't like the policies because the municipality didn't have net metering so he ran for light commissioner got <laughs> voted in and then he rewrote all the rules so that's the way <laughs> and now it. people yeah. love them and you want to talk about like <laughs> if you don't believe in something and you want to make change be the change he was the change yeah he was this he, he was an engineer that built control systems for nuclear power plants so he's a pretty sharp guy and uh but he well, ran and for light commissioner and got it municipalities like Falmouth where Dan Roy's house is 
where Dan can send any excess that he has to someone else on the grid as long as they're related. And well, as long right? as they're within that grid, you yeah. could you could you could sell it to your you could you don't sell it. You could power your neighbor's house or offset their costs by the additional power you put in the grid as long as they're tied to the same grid, local grid, whatever that means. I don't quite understand how. So if Mima was on uh, retirement and you could help her if she was Yes, if your mom lived next door, you could make enough power and you can. And, and that's what he does for his sister-in-law. 25% of her bill he pays off and of two the electricity cars. and two cars and his house is total zero. Yeah, that's and great. So because, Dan, you're in Columbia, some of our listeners are in Columbia. By all means, the majority of them are not. But how does the municipality here do it? So City of Columbia Water and Light, they don't produce their own energy. They just buy and resell. But they have... Do you buy, know where they buy their power from? Where it comes from? Uh, they get a lot from... Is it nuclear, hydro? I don't remember the percentages... Um, they get a lot of wind, I think from Iowa. I don't remember the name of the wind farm gotcha. up there. And they, they are very pro solar. They do have some, um, uh, biogas from the landfill and some other stuff. Um, but I think most of it is probably still coal to be totally gotcha. frank. Yeah. Yeah. New England, a lot of ours is Niagara power. Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. hydropower out of Canada. Yeah. That's why when Niagara Falls or whatever had that problem, like New York and Boston and everything had that blackout. Yeah. Everything comes down that Northeast corridor. Well, we have a real shut down. mix here too. Like within 150 miles, there's wind, there's solar, there's nuke, there's hydro, uh, there's coal. There's a plant in town that burns wood chips. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. There's some weird, like, there, people are trying. It's not just like we're West Virginia and all we do is burn coal. Yeah. And we yeah. do have a, a, a healthy RPS or renewable portfolio standard. Not like West goals. Virginia. Did you hear that, West Virginians? <laughs> I didn't it's know if you not like this. West Virginia. <laughs> but the West Virginia market is not as big on the podcast as you think it would be. You can bash West Virginia wow. as much as you Ke- want. Kevin Link. There you go, buddy. <laughs> Jake's bashing West Virginia, just saying. Okay, so the municipality here is pro solar they offer a rebate and they have frankly the best net metering policy in the state of missouri which because they carry forward any excess production at the retail rate rather than at the avoided cost of electricity so what we see for a lot of talk to us about that well hold on one second yeah retail rate versus avoided cost of electricity what is the difference so think about a retail rate the rate that everybody pays based on their rate schedule or so we pay. So retail the, yeah. rate is if they charge me 20, 20 cents a kilowatt hour, they will pay me twenty cents a kilowatt Correct. hour for every one I send back on the grid. Correct. So it's a one for one exchange. My yes. credits, my yeah. credits equal. It's though. not like that in New England. Dan Roy probably in in New England on the Cape, it's probably twenty two or twenty four cents a kilowatt hour, mm-hmm. and they probably buy it back at ten. Yeah, which we pay like eleven here. Yeah. Well, ours is we have a. Uh, what I would call a punitive rate. So the first tranche about 250 kilowatt hours is around eight cents. And then it jumps to around 11, then 13, then 15, depending on the season. And the the more you use, the more you pay. So city of Columbia offers net metering and carry it forward at the retail rate. Whereas most others go at the avoided cost, which is basically the wholesale rate of electricity, which is usually around a quarter to a third of the retail. Are those rates proportional with the rates that you just explained the uh, use rates? Like you said, that it goes up to uh, from eleven to thirteen to fifteen. 
Um, no, it's at the lower tranche. So when it's when yeah. they're selling at fifteen, they're not buying at fifteen. Correct. They're Be, buying at eleven. Yeah. Well, I, I, although I would say if you were to overproduce enough in a given month where you hit that higher tier, it would be at that. Just most folks don't. Which is interesting because I mean, common sense would I think lend itself that if my AC is running really high in August and I'm paying a lot for electricity, it means that the sun is probably out heating my house, which means I'm making an all-time high yeah, you're in generating. solar power yeah. and generating. So, But even if you're not going to go for uh, beyond net zero or net zero in our community, you your goal could be to get it down to only paying for that $0.08 cents a kW. Right. Or you can overproduce too, right? So again, City of Columbia Water and Light, they, they true up March to March, right? So they do an annual true up March to March and they'll let you carry... Up to, I mean, as much as you want forward. What's a true up to true up March to March? And I'm only saying this because we have a lot of people out there you're, that you're right. Yeah, I'm, I'm up it, in the it, weeds. No, no, yeah. no, no. Listen, I fall prey to this all the time. We shoot videos all the time, and I'll I'll throw out things like LVL or this or that, and people are like, "What's an LVL?" And yeah. I'm like, yeah. Okay, so let's talk true up. Um, true up is a net metering term, and most of the utilities in the state and probably a lot of places do a monthly true up. So at the end of the month, they're going to read your meter. Again, this is a bi-directional meter, one that counts both directions. So it knows when you're consuming energy and when you're sending energy back to the grid. So at the end of the month for easy math, let's say you consumed a thousand kilowatt hours and sent them 500 kilowatt hours. So it, let me ask a dumb question. Sure. Sorry, I don't mean to interrupt, but I do. Um, when, when you say bi-directional, yes. is it recording both <coughs> categories or is it adjusting a single category? Like if I buy 20 kilowatts, but then I put 10 on the grid, does the meter back up 10? Or does it just keep this dial as buying keeps rolling and this dial keeps going back? Yes. What I'm so in our parts, it's a single meter and it counts just what, what you consume or what you, what so you produce in excess. So it's a net adjustment. Yes, but it's, it's read both channels. And so it doesn't show on meter. Where you are currently, it's not like it goes up and down and your meter is red. It has a channel for delivered and received, and that's from the perspective of the utility. So they can probably go back in and read the two channels if there was a problem. I would imagine so, To understand that, yeah, yeah, that 50 kW net is whatever is correct. Yeah, so then at the end of a month, they're going to say, we delivered you this many kilowatt hours. We received this many from you. So again, if we use 1,500 your net bill then, that's where this term net metering comes from, would only be for 500 kilowatt hours. So half of what you would normally would have paid for that thousand. And that doesn't count the stuff used directly, right? The received credit, the excess credits, only what you produced in excess of what you needed at any given time. So you're going to self-consume some portion of that too that doesn't show up on the meter, but you don't buy it and you don't get credit for it. Right. Right. Um, let me ask this crazy question. Is there any t- or any reason why someone would it would be a dumb idea to do solar here? I mean, I granted you're going to come back and say, yeah, if you have a wooded lot or something like that. But if I have above average solar access, it probably always makes sense to put solar. And this is a chance for you. Obviously, you're going to say yes because you sell solar panels. 
Right. But, I, I'm not. I'm definitely biased, right? I yeah, think yeah, so. Everybody no. should have solar, but you know there are other considerations too. I mean, if the direction your available roof space and the direction it faces, there are times when you got a bunch of dormers, and maybe you have a, a east-west facing roof, and it's all chopped up with stuff, and so maybe it's not a good fit. You know, you want to. What we don't want to see clients do is put in six or eight panels. And have it reduce their bill some, but they're not going to feel like it's doing much. So we generally shoot for this 65 to 105% offset so that you know that it's there, right? Gotcha. So in other words, Dan's looking it. to make people happy and yeah. feel like they had a good investment as well. Imagine that. He understands where his success rate, yeah. you know. So if you put in one panel, it'll do something. It'll work. Right. But you're not going to feel like it's doing anything. Yeah. That's, yeah. That's Perception like is everything. 3%. Off on your purchase at the store, right? Yeah, you're not going to trip it's over like, yourself. It's like, hey, thanks, for that. but yeah. you know, the 68 cents exactly. didn't really do much for me. Precisely, I you get know. you. That and there is, there, you know, there is a cost to it, right? So there are some lease and loan programs out there. Some some of the loan programs are good. A lot of the lease programs, um, I'm personally of the opinion that not to bash anybody selling a lease, but if you have enough money for a company to make money doing a lease for you, like that's money that should go to the owner's pocket. Yeah, um, I don't understand the lease either. Yeah. Um, but getting getting back to it, so because because one of the things I always tell clients, they say, you know, should I consider doing solar panels? And I always say, you know, aside from like if you have a cabin in the woods that just doesn't have solar access, it always makes sense to do solar panels. I would agree. And you know, I I tell everybody. I mean, when you look at states like Colorado, New Mexico, Phoenix. Yep, Phoenix Cal- is in a state, just to work there. Steve I mean, Phoenix, I mean, does Arizona. not know that Phoenix is not a state. Arizona. Okay. Thanks. Okay. Here, we'll roll this map out real quick. But yeah, but but my point there is, it's like, you know, Colorado's got 300 plus days of sunshine. Yeah. They, they do have some trees in the mountain areas, but there's a lot of areas that you don't. It's like, it should, in my eyes, it should almost become part of the zoning code. Like, if you're building a certain size structure certain amount of the energy should be site generated Yeah, for it. It just doesn't make sense. And like all these companies and up by us, I, I am starting to see it, but you have these companies like Walmart or home Depot or all of that coming in and they put these huge buildings up. It's like, yeah, you can put that building in our town, but 75% of it has to be site generated energy. If you're going to put a flat roof of that size, and a building of that scale in our town. Yeah, it's one of the best resources for that roof, you know? Yeah. One of the uh, oddball, like, energy things with the building code in Columbia is uh, you have to have, of your south-facing roof, you have to have 600 square feet of uninterrupted space, which is great for Dan. But the code does not require south-facing roof. So unless you have south-facing roof... You don't have to worry about it. We did a little house a few years ago that the whole roof sloped north facing. And I went to the city and said, how are we supposed to deal with this? And he said, oh, you don't have south. You don't have to worry about it. And I was like, what a like somebody missed the mark when they were writing this up. Like something there's a disconnect here from like the idea of what we were trying to do to how it's being implemented. So, So let's talk about orientation right quick, because I always, you know, for a while was under the belief everything had to be like true south or within five or 10 degrees of true south. Then I did a little tour of Europe and, you know, going through Germany Germany and Slovakia. Like in Germany, I think north was the only orientation they didn't put solar on. Yeah. It was on every east roof, west roof. Like you'd go to some of these barns and stuff that were L-shaped and they had solar panels in the whole L. 
because it faced kind of south and east or mm-hmm. whatever. And is there a sense of, yeah, that doesn't really make sense to do that? Or the the losses aren't that bad that east-facing, west-facing is still a viable solution? Sure. I would, I would say here in the northern hemisphere, anything but north is viable. Um, what we've, you know, true south is definitely the best. You have the most solar resource, 180 degrees due south at latitude. That doesn't mean that's where you make the most energy, but that's the most solar resource. So around here, we're around. Okay. So when I always got to stop you when <laughs> yep. you say it's not this, but that. Okay. So what's the difference between solar resource and most energy? Sure. So if, and if you look at the most solar resource, it's like how much sun is hitting a surface, right? The most sunlight is going to hit a surface at latitude facing due south here in the Northern Hemisphere. And, and I was always told that the tilt of the solar panels should equal the latitude of where they are being installed. Is that true? That has been around for a while, and that's not incorrect. But if we're talking about making energy, right, so specifically electricity, right, yep. where you're going to get the most energy on an annual basis is to favor a sol- uh, production in the summer months because we have more hours of sun per day and the and the um, tends to be less cloudy. So maybe not. So at la- that latitude, but latitude, maybe twenty percent less. Yeah, latitude minus ten to fifteen degrees is that's where you're gonna make the most energy. Now, if that pairs up well with your use, it's hard to say. Most folks use more in the summer than they do in the winter, but that's not always the case. But that's because I, I and I and I think I would make the argument that because a lot of places are still on fossil fuel mm-hmm. in the northern hemisphere heating climates. Like Correct. up by us. I mean, there's still a lot of people that are using oil, a yep. lot of people that are using natural gas. My house is on natural gas. Yep. Ew. But we're slowly moving to um all electric, which I think we will see a, a change in that. That I, I would tend to agree with that. And then you might want to be closer to latitude or even latitude plus ten or fifteen degrees, which is getting harder to do for most folks. You know, if you look at a here we're a thirty-nine degree latitude roughly, that's about a 10, 12 pitch roof, right? And that's not as common. For, yeah, 39 is probably a nine. Yeah. Well, yeah. or I was sorry, yeah. I was rounding up yeah. to 40, yeah. but yeah. Um, yeah. So, you know, and it totally depends on the roof pitch, but the steeper the roof pitch, the harder it is to install too. Well, and the thing too is, is you know, like in New England, you want to be in that nine to 12 range for the roof pitch because that's what regionally looks correct. Right. Right. You start doing five and 12s, people are like, you know, we're not, down in how come there's not enough Phoenix, roof? the city of Phoenix. Yeah. Um, but just uh, so we're clear, Steve and I uh, stopped at a truck stop yesterday to get a soda, and Steve walked up and started talking to a guy, and he said, "So where are you from?" And the guy said, "Pittsburgh." And Steve said, "Bullshit! I saw your license plate. It says Pennsylvania. Why would you try to lie to me?" <laughs> oh, I didn't that is all a lie. That is all a lie. Um, but uh, so. And, and as an architect, it does. I mean, it's hard to get some people to believe in the solar panels. They've come a long way as mm-hmm. far as the aesthetics and the ability to put them a little closer to the roof. But yeah. if I have a seven-pitch roof and I'm setting panels at – or a nine-pitch roof and I'm setting panels at a 12-pitch, having that kind of um, obtuse – Or that, that angle off the roof, yeah, the lift – it's going to start looking ugly. That, so for us, that's a, a no-no, right? It just it looks bad. Yeah. It increases the wind loading. So now maybe we have to do some yeah, structural remediation. Putting a bunch of kites on the roof. Yep. And if you have to do that structural remediation, that little bit of extra energy you're, you're going to get. You're better off putting two panels exactly. on to make up for the, yeah. d- the loss in angle. Right. 
Yeah. It's, yeah we, we want it to look as good as it performs. And to me, that's going to be in the plane of the roof. So parallel to the roof surface, it's going to be no exposed conduit on the roof, you know, that kind of stuff. Gotcha. All right. I think we only have a few so, minutes left, so I'm going to, I have one finish. Well, I, we never got past inverter. No, so because we're going to come back. Let's come back and we'll, we'll talk to Dan. We'll do a whole nother episode where we talk about the bits and pieces. Okay. Because I have one other one that's a more generalized question. That sure. Far okay. And the next, next one you can handle. Okay. So, so the next one is, I'm building a new house. I don't want to put solar panels on it. But eventually, I want to take my house to zero in two or three years. What are the two, three, four things I should be thinking of and planning for to make that house zero energy ready? I'm not sure I followed you. You don't okay. ever want solar on your roof, or you no, don't want I solar, do. I but do you don't want, want solar. It today. So I know. Okay. So I'll uh, let me see if I I'll, I'll throw some things out there. You tell me myth or yes, you should do that. Sure. Obviously, the the roof trusses I should have sized to handle the roof. Yeah, the solar I, I, panel. I'd load. figure five pounds per square foot. Yours is more than adequate. Yes. Um, my structural engineer has a whole weird thing because because what and, and it makes sense. It's like he goes, solar panels aren't a uniform load. So you can assume five pounds, but that five pounds goes into a rail system and goes out along the rail system and then goes into some yeah. struts that so, go into the roof. Yep. Point, so point load, yeah, 35 so, to 40 yeah. is more than adequate. So yeah. we have some weird saying in, in our drawings that talks about it being a solar roof and blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. But anyways, so we want to make sure that the roof system is adequately structured Absolutely. to handle it. Um, as far as... Um, servicing, I tell people, you need to know where your inverters are and you need to have a clear path to the roof from where the inverters are going to be. Meaning if I put the inverters in my basement, then we need to run like, I don't know, I think we do like two two-inch conduits that go all the way at least to the attic that we can add to and punch through the roof. Yep. That makes but a solar installer very house. happy. But yep. like two two-inch conduits is probably enough to handle... Um, I would say that's more than enough. Yeah. Part of it depends on system design too. So are we going to use a microinverter and come back AC? Then that's readily usable. If I use a, a DC optimizer or a DC based system, we're going to put DC all the way back to the inverter in the basement, say, then everything's got to be in metal through the structure. So as long as it's a decent size and again, two, two inch, that gives me enough room to run three or four, uh, you know, 10 to MC cables, you know, so metal clad cable, right. which keeps it in metal. And that gives me a nice chase to run it down through so I'm not having to find my own route. And we probably want to have those conduits relatively close to an edge of the roof or the ridge of the roof. So we're not punching through the middle of the roof. So when you look at the solar array, we have this beautiful array with one panel missing because we chose to bring the conduits out through the middle of the roof. Right. And I would even say just bring them into the attic space, not through and the roof. And then we can figure yeah. that Yep. Figure that out after. And then as far as the inverters, we talked about that a little bit, but I think it's probably safe to say for every, I don't know, let's say 10 kW, maybe we have um, 50 square feet of equipment space. Is that a pretty fair uh, assessment? That, that's more than adequate. 50 I, square feet of wall. So in a basement wall, yeah. what's that, 10 feet? Yeah. Yeah. You know, I'd say most of the Some stuff, you know, if you're just doing a single inverter inside, it's going to be, yeah, four by four, you know, okay. may, maybe for 10, if you're over 10K, maybe give it, you know. That. So about maybe whatever you're planning for, for your electrical panel cable box, double that That's on reasonable. the wall yeah. and then leave that space vacant. Yep. 
for. All right. So we talked about um, structural adequacy, getting access, place for equipment size. Are we missing anything else that we should pre-plan for? In a you want to leave space for a solar breaker. So if we're going to tie into your main panel, which is the way it goes a lot, there are some NEC calculations that go into how much solar you can put on that. But if you, generally speaking, you want to leave the room for a two-pole breaker, so two spaces, opposite of the main breaker. So it doesn't matter if it's flipped upside down or right side up, but opposite of the main is the location where that solar breaker is going to go. Okay. So you want to retain that space. And then is, and, and is that pretty much cover all the physical requirements? I would say that that pretty much hits them all. Yeah. And then as far as if I'm, if I'm doing this holdout for let's say 18 months so I can generate electric bills, is it as simple as just taking 18 months worth of electric bills and understanding how many kilowatts of use I have, and then just simply applying that number to the future array? I know, I mean, most clients, including as an architect, I have most clients, we work with professionals like you, but I'm saying for people to kind of generate in their mind or for me as an architect to sit there and say, okay, well, we have, you know, um, eight kilowatts of use. Should I add 10% to that number, 20% to that number? Is the eight kilowatts or whatever, is that number a true number? It's a good question. Um, if you take a daily number, right? So if you take your total use and divide it by the number 365, yeah. right? And you get a daily number and then divide that by the number of average number of sun hours per day, which you could look up online at various locations. Okay. That's going to give you close. You happen to know that website or a um, website offhand. We like to give resources. Sure. There's a resource out there called the Red Book that produces it. It's a government document that's out there. I don't know the website, but if Does you- Does NOAA have it? National- Oceanic Atmospheric Association. They might. And I, I don't know who produces the Red Book, but that's yeah. that's a, like a, a resource readily available online for a bunch of different cities. And then it'll also go down to what the tilt is, what the azimuth is, all that kind of stuff. And it'll say, uh, and even by month in part of it too. So if you say, you can pick the month, but you know, around I'm only here, at that house in yeah. November. So I want my solar system there to be optimized. Go. So you pick that one for but Thanksgiving. You can pick the average, right? And that'll that'll get you real close to the... DC system size that you might need for that use, right? And then you can size up or down from there. Gotcha. You have any questions? I see you. I I wrote down questions for the next one. We're our time with Dan is limited today. I am certain that we're going to have Dan back on the podcast uh, again, and we will try to uh, cover a lot more stuff. Like, why do I want an inverter on every? panel instead of one inverter inverter for the entire system why is it important to clean your panels off is it important to clean your panels off those sorts of things uh and maybe we'll even run through solar that we're getting on our office in a future episode so that we can just talk like here's here's the usage that we see here's what we need here's how we're going to resolve it yeah so this has been great thanks yeah i appreciate it guys thanks Okay, so we don't have time to record another one today, so you will not see Dan in next week's episode or even in the next couple months probably, but stay tuned. Uh, We'll have Dan back again, I promise. Uh, This was Solar 101. Uh, Thank you guys for joining us today. Don't forget to uh, leave us a five-star review on iTunes. And while this one was just an audio version, uh, go to YouTube and still subscribe to the YouTube channel. There's good stuff there Smash every single week. Uh, and Steve is. This guy's correct. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> Smash that like button. 
And Steve is uh, putting up a new video every Tuesday for the next few months about uh, the design process and going through the plans. Before the build, where we talk about all the things that Jake and I talked about before we started construction. So, thanks for listening. Have a good day.